This series is important to every one of our lives. The truth is, our lives are part of something much greater than we understand or can imagine. Now, let's learn about the kingdom of God and how we play into it. So we started the whole series, part one, with the idea of answering this question, how did we get here? I mean, God created everything and said it's good. It was a perfect world. And now we look around and it's a broken world and sinful people. But we discovered the answer to the question was that mankind in the beginning rebelled against the authority of God. And when they did, everything they had been given and everything they had was lost. They had two things that were very important. One was a perfect relationship with God. They could walk in the garden in the cool of the day and talk to God as clearly as you and I can talk to each other. And the second one was dominion of creation. God had given everything to them. But when they rebelled against God and left God's authority, everything they had was gone. The good news is we didn't stay there and God had a plan. So in part two, we discovered that even when everything went wrong at the very beginning, God already had a plan for how he's gonna make it right. And so in part two, we discovered that God's answer was there would be someone born of a woman, a child, children actually, who would crush the head of Satan. He told them right then and there. We know it began with Jesus and his work on the cross and being raised from the dead, but then he continues it today through the church, through you and me on the earth. And so what we've learned in this series is that you and I are the greatest threat to the kingdom of darkness since Jesus came out of the tomb and your life will never be the same. And that is my goal for this series. I'm glad like two of you are excited about that. But my goal for this series is you don't see yourselves the same way you used to, that you don't see life the same way you used to. You don't see money, you don't see the devil, you don't see anything the way you used to because we used to see it as a purely human perspective. In part three, we, we built on that victory, like, wow, God has a plan. And here's the good news. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's defeated Satan. Death and sin is conquered. God's kingdom is on the earth. God's kingdom is advancing. Why don't we see that? And we learn that there is actually a gap between what has been done in the heavenlies and what sometimes shows itself on the earth. And we call this the era where we live. It's the tension between the already done and the not yet seen. Yes, Jesus conquered. Yes, everything has been put in subjection to him, but we don't see it all happen in the natural realm upon the earth. And you may say, well, why is that? Well, what we learned is very, very simple. Jesus' part is done. Ours isn't. We still got work to do. So as we jump into part four, that sets us up perfectly for what we want to talk about today. And I've got a question for all of you. How many of you feel like sometimes the devil is just out to get you? Anybody with me? There are days where the devil is just out to get you. You know those days where by lunchtime you think, I would have been further ahead if I had stayed in bed. Like, it's just so bad. I should have just called in sick and not even tried. Like, it just got worse the longer you did it. We've, uh, as you can tell, this weekend we're going to talk about what the devil is trying to do to us. And I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you, this whole weekend, this worship experience has been like a whole nother level of the devil doesn't like us. Hey, if you were here in the last service, there were alien noises coming out of the sound system. I mean, it was weird. People jumped and were scared. It was, it was strange. And then like Thursday, when I was preaching for the, the first service of this, every time they went to push the button that puts a verse on the screen for you to see, instead of putting up a verse, it played an entire video. So you know what it's like when you try preaching and everybody else is watching the announcements for the seventh time or something like that? It's like, this is crazy. I mean, the devil has just been everything he can try to do to stop this. It's one of those like, you wish you'd stayed in bed, except I'm not. I'm enjoying 
winning the, this little fight we've been having. Matter of fact, I, I know you weren't here for that service, but I'm gonna tell you what happened. When the alien noises came out of the, the speaker system and it scared everybody, and we started just singing that song more, Holy Spirit, come on us, follow on us, we want more of you. The anointing in the room increased. Like you alien noises got nothing, you know? My wife and I, we lead a, a life group here. It's a small group. And the focus of this small group is getting us closer to the spirit of God in us and further from the spirit that's in the world. And it ends with a ministry night, a very special time with the worship team and, and a prayer team and, and us connecting with God at a, a new level. So you can, you can guess the devil doesn't like this. And so we've been doing this twice a year for over a decade. And every single time that week, the devil does everything he can. And I, I tell you, I don't think we've ever done one of these ministry nights where my wife is not suffering a debilitating migraine. I don't think she's ever come to one without it, yet she pushes on and she comes. We always have sickness in the family, crazy circumstances like tires going flat and everything breaking and everything that could go wrong does. And then the next morning, it's like the sun came up and the devil doesn't care anymore, at least until the next time I go to preach. I mean, you just feel like that sometimes. Here's the truth we need to know. The kingdom of darkness hates the kingdom of God. And as believers in Jesus, if he's your king, you are therefore a citizen in the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of darkness hates you. So there is warfare and the warfare is real. And we've done a whole series on spiritual warfare. You can go check out and learn all of the, the nuances of that. Today, we're just talking about how it plays into our lives because here's the deal. We're surprised by it and frustrated by it, but we shouldn't be. We actually need to be prepared for it. And if we could only understand what the devil tried to do to our king, then we'll have a much better understanding of what he's trying to do to those in his kingdom. And that's where we are with part four today. We're here trying to understand, I hope we do understand by the time we're done, the attack on the king. So in a few minutes, we're gonna get to our main passage, Luke chapter four. If you wanna follow along, you can go ahead and turn there. But I want to walk you through a little journey that sets that up. If you can recall what we talked about in part two, or as I just mentioned a moment ago, when everything went wrong in the beginning and Adam is there and Eve is there and Satan is there and God speaks to each of them and he tells them what's coming for each of them. At that same moment, God turned to Satan and said, there's going to be one born of a woman that will crush your head. And so at that moment, Satan begins watching. Think about all of human history, watching, waiting, looking around, Who's it gonna be? When's it gonna happen? Where are they coming from? Is it, no? Is it, no? Many would argue the first time that Satan thought this was the one would have been with Moses. You see, Jewish tradition holds that Moses' older sister, Miriam, was a prophetess. And she had prophesied to her mother, the one you're about to give birth to is actually gonna save the, the Israelites. You are gonna rescue God's people from their affliction. You see, at the time, the Israelites were living as slaves, horribly oppressed in Egypt. And their affliction, they had kept crying out before God. And God says, I see your affliction. I'm going to rescue you. And so in the spiritual realm, there was some awareness. And Satan says, okay, I think this is it. I think this is the one. And so he sets out a plan. His plan was to kill the one. They can't crush me if I kill them. And so he works through the Egyptian king at the time and all of the male children of God's people were exterminated. The way it played out is if they gave birth to a female, they were allowed to keep their females. But if God's people gave birth to a male, the males were picked up and thrown into the Nile River, except Moses. 
God supernaturally protected him with his hand. And Moses grew up to do exactly what was prophesied of him. He did rescue God's people from their affliction, lead them to the promised land, but he wasn't the one. He didn't save God's people from their sins. He didn't crush the head of Satan. So Satan keeps watching and he keeps waiting. Who? When? Where? And then the day comes. Before we get to our main passage, real quickly, we're gonna have another Christmas service. The kingdom series seems to take us to Christmas a lot, but that's when our king was born. It says, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for, what, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the one that Satan's been waiting on. Now it's got his attention and more than his attention, it's got his attack. So Satan implements his plan. Now only if I can kill this one that is supposed to be a king. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the, Herod, the, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And by the way, let me just tell you, that's not a good question to ask the current king of the Jews. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Go figure. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word. But being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Then Herod, when he saw he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and he killed all the male children. Are you seeing the theme? In Bethlehem, and in all that region who were two years old or under. But Jesus was not among them because God had supernaturally protected him and moved him once again. Matter of fact, seven times as a child, God supernaturally protects the life of Jesus so that he would become the king of his kingdom, that he would save his people from their sins. And by the way, I just wanna take a moment and do a mini sermon if you'll allow me, like just, just a little side comment that I think will help us. It's something I'll do a whole sermon on later, but as I was watching Thursday service this morning and praying for this and looking at this scripture, I noticed something in a way I'd never noticed before. And that is the way that Satan works upon the earth. Think about this. This whole message has been, the whole series has been about trying to get us to understand our place because what God is doing on the earth, he's not doing through angels, he's doing through you and me at people, his church, right? And we... We, we misunderstand the whole battle. We think it's between God and Satan and angels and demons. And, and we've been trying to awaken ourselves to the, the idea we need to stop waiting on angels. Well, if that's true, then follow this. What Satan is doing upon the earth, he's also not just doing through demons, but through people. If God is working through people through the kingdom of God, Satan is working through people who are in the kingdom of darkness. I'm not saying angels and demons don't have a place, but primarily on the earth, angels have a place to guard those who are in the kingdom of God. And primarily demons role on the earth is to frustrate and hinder and to attack those who are in the kingdom of God and to empower those in the kingdom of darkness. It was an Egyptian king that Satan used to try and kill Moses. It was a Hebrew king that Satan used to try and kill Jesus. Are y'all following this? So here's the thing. We look at our broken world today 
and we get all frustrated with everything that is wrong around us and we need to realize it's at least partially our fault. We are the ones who empower people who do not represent the kingdom of God upon the earth. And then we're surprised when the world around us looks like the kingdom of darkness. Like if you're a business owner and you promote someone to be plant manager and then everybody is miserable and quits and you go, I don't understand what went wrong. I don't know, maybe the dude was just evil and people hated working for him. And we really need to think about this. When we go to vote, like we are the people who are empowering people who stand for things opposed to the kingdom of God. We need to remember people like Hitler were democratically elected all on a secondary issue of make us a, a, you know, a, a great German nation or something like that and, and, and the economics of the time. And, and so we identify with people on a side issue or we like a personality better and we don't stand on issues and issues alone. And look, that is through, all throughout history. That is nothing that I'm trying to make a current statement about, but I am trying to make a current statement about next time you look at the news, we need to realize we have the power to empower people who are promoting the kingdom of God, or we can ignore that issue altogether and vote on some other thing. But that's my side message. And only three of you liked it. So I'll get back to the topic of the day. Satan looks around and says, well, can't kill him. Didn't work with Moses, didn't work with him. I tried seven times, I can't kill him. But you know what? Death isn't the only way to take a king down. All I gotta do is trap him in my kingdom. And you know what? Temptation should do the job. It's always worked before. Mankind is so in love with the stuff of this world. And after all, Jesus is the offspring of a woman. Temptation. They can wanna break into song, but it's not a Christian song that's coming to mind right there, y'all. Y'all didn't get that joke? I'm not gonna sing it. To our main passage for today, everybody, Satan implements his new plan. Can't kill him, but I can still get him. Luke chapter four, and Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. That's a fact. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, that's important, we'll come back to it. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. This first temptation that Satan is bringing to Jesus is what we call the desires of the flesh. And any type of pleasure for us, for our body, for our mind, for, for our existence in our physical world, that is what this is talking about. Jesus' answer though was, Beautiful, because he simply looks at him and says, there is more to physical life than pleasing this body. You see, the truth is there would have been absolutely nothing wrong with Jesus eating. He was a hungry man. His time of fasting was over, but that's not what Satan was after. Satan wasn't after him getting his stomach full. Satan was after him taking his eyes off of the bigger picture of why he was on the earth and trying to get himself focused on just this. But Jesus says, hey, look, man lives for something greater than this. There is more to this life so therefore man does not live by bread alone. Twice a year here at Grace Life, we do what we call a week of prayer and fasting. And it comes out of this idea that we need to remind ourselves we don't live for this. This is not what's in charge. Matter of fact, over the, the 10 years or so since we've been doing this, God gave me a, a, a little saying, and it comes back up all the time. So many of you here at Grace Life, you've heard this before, but this is a great time to remind you. It's a little thing that God gave me as I was preaching on fasting long ago. It simply says our physical world is not our home. 
Our physical desires are not most important. And our physical body is not what we worship and serve. This is not our God. And, and, and it comes from what Jesus taught us at this moment. And even though as a church family, we, we come together twice a year for fasting and praying, I think it's important for believers at all times, because Jesus said, when my disciples fast. I mean, we, we should do this as a regular part of our lives. I think it's important for us to fast, to remind ourselves that the things that we love for pleasure's sake, we don't actually have them controlling us. I talk to people all the time and, you know, they'll get in a fight with their spouse, their spouse wants them to stop doing something. Like, oh, I can stop that at any moment. Okay, prove it. How many of us say, well, I could stop that anytime. I don't have to watch that much TV. I don't have to drink that much of that. I don't have to eat that many Cheetos. I don't have to, whatever it is you think doesn't actually have control of you that is pleasing this, then good, stop it. Just try to stop it for a day. Try to stop it for a week. Just see, and you will find out how much control it actually has and how much you are living for this. Jesus was hungry. Yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man and he had not eaten for 40 days. The Bible tells us he was hungry. And at that moment, he could have said, that's a good idea. But he, even though this was hungry, had his eyes on something so much greater. And he was able to say, didn't work, Satan. So the devil says, well, you know what? That was just the first one. I was just getting warmed up. We got some more to do. So the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority in their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. I'll just remind you, we learned in part one, that's a true statement. Adam and Eve had lost it all. Humanity had given it all away. It was his to offer. It was a fair offer. But here's what he required of Jesus. If you then will worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. This is the second temptation and we call it the desires of the eyes. It's all about stuff, possessions. We look around and go, that would be nice to have. That's desirable, that looks good. And oh, I think my life will be better off if I have it. Satan thinks this works because his idea is, well, you know what? Humanity has always been greedy and materialistic. They've always been coveting. Satan offered it to Jesus because he could. What you need to know is that God also offered it to him. You see, the, the problem though is in order to get what God is offering him, all the kingdoms of the world, I mean, think about this. Satan says, look at this. The hanging gardens of Babylon, all these beautiful things, all this, I mean, you could have it all. Every castle, it's yours. All these kings, they'll serve you. All these, everything, it'll all be yours. And God says, well, it, it, it could all be yours. But in God's version, he's gonna have to go through the cross. And in Satan's version, he doesn't. In Satan's version, he just has to bow a knee. But think about this. What Satan is offering him has dirt streets. And it's built out of stones that fade with the sun and the rain. And the people in it are sinful and will die and have to pay for their sins and then Jesus won't have them as his people anymore. On the other hand, the version that God offers him has streets of gold and stones that never perish. And you don't even need light because the glory of God is so bright and the people in it are totally glorified and redeemed and perfect. And, and I'm even six foot tall there and it's amazing. I mean, it's gonna be a great existence. 
See, what you need to understand is, yes, Satan offers us things of this world, but it's always a counterfeit to what God has planned for us. There's always a shortcut. It looks good. It's a little easier. So I just want to, to give you this warning at any time in life that it looks like it's a little bit easier than that way. If it looks like there's a shortcut, it's because it's counterfeit. Now, Jesus, of course, knew the new heavens and the new earth were coming. Jesus, of course, had the vantage point of having come from heaven. He knew what he was waiting on. Sometimes you and I don't. Sometimes we're gonna have to do it in faith. You know, we've even come up with a saying that a bird in the hand is better than two in the bush. And, and that saying plays into our thinking, well, you know, I don't know if God's really gonna bless me tomorrow. This looks good right now. I know I've gotta kinda, you know, stab a worker in the back and, and get their job in, in order to be promoted, but I'm pretty sure God wants me to be promoted. So things look one way, but they're always a counterfeit when Satan offers something. So Jesus didn't go for this one either. And Satan said, that's okay, I've got one more. As a matter of fact, the one I've got might be the best one of all. And he took him to Jerusalem and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, y'all catch that again? If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. This third temptation is what we call the, the pride of life. And it's all about promotion of me. It is about making much of ourselves. It's about our accomplishments, our recognition, impressing people. You know, actually the truth is it's about impressing ourselves with ourselves. That's what it's all about. And the true issue of the heart for this one is identity. Did you notice what Satan went after with Jesus? Twice he said, if you're the son of God. If you are the one. And the third time he didn't use that saying, he just said, if you will worship me. But it was also a challenge to his identity because Jesus was supposed to be the one worshiped. And he's saying, well, if you'll just worship me instead. All of this was a challenge to his identity. The good news for you and me is he didn't take the bait and he didn't trade the cross and you and I are saved and forgiven because he didn't take it. And the reason he didn't take it, the reason he didn't take it is because he is good with who he is. I am the son of God. I know that. And I don't have to prove that to you. I wish I could say that humanity was as good at standing up to this as Jesus was. The truth is, this is a sore spot for us because we've built our identity upon two things and they're both faulty. Our identity, our security and who we are is built upon what we've accomplished and what people think of us. Just look at our social media. It'll prove it to you. We have made our belief in ourselves. When we look in the mirror, what we see are the degrees on our wall. What we see is the title we carry at work. What we see is who has to salute whom. What we see is what people say about us, at least to our face, and what we hope they're saying when we're not in the room. We have built our identity on all the wrong things. Jesus was able to say, look, I know what my identity is. I'm the son of God. 
My father loves me and I know it. And you and I are supposed to be living for nothing more than hearing, well done, well done. Because I promise you, we're living for things we're never gonna hear said. God is never gonna look at you and go, oh boy, let me tell you what, that day you graduated from that university was one of my proudest moments as a father in heaven. Look, I just looked down upon you, that was just, oh, and when you got promoted to CEO, I got all the angels. Come on, y'all see this? That's my son over there. I'm so excited. No, he's never gonna say that. The only thing we're supposed to be living for is, well done, son. Well done, daughter. Our identity is in who God has made us. We're supposed to be good with that, but that's the struggle. I mean, how many things have we done all in the effort to impress people? What's been done in the name of peer pressure? I mean, teenagers, can we just be honest? Look, let me just go ahead and clarify this for you. Giving in to peer pressure, anything to impress anyone with you is officially the pride of life. That's what this is. But don't worry, teens, I never pick on you alone. Dads, sacrificing your family to chase a career so that your coworkers will think more of you or you'll simply think more of yourself when you look in the mirror is officially the pride of life. Moms, if you spend all your time dragging the kids from one thing to another that they're so exhausted they're asleep in the van on the way also that they can get a trophy in every sport known to mankind so that people will think you're a great mom, is officially chasing the pride of life. Good news, Jesus didn't take the bait for any of that. And his response at this point is so cool. See, Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And a lot of us, can I be honest, this is a Bible nerd moment. Can I share a Bible nerd moment with you? When you read this at face value, you don't know what's actually going on. There's a whole nother layer. There's an inside joke going on with him and the devil, except it's not a joke. You ever been on one of those inside conversations where you and only one other person actually knows what's going on? You say something with your eyes and nobody else in the room knows it. All right, that's what's happening here. Because when Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. We read that at face value that Jesus is saying, I should not jump off of here and dare God to catch me. That's not a good idea. I'm not playing games with God. Shouldn't be stupid. You know what? He's right. Don't be stupid. Don't jump off a building and see if an angel will catch you. Dumb. Dumb. But that's not actually what's going on. See, what's going on here, what's really dumb (laughs) is Satan is quoting the word of God to the word of God in the flesh. That's dumb. And so as he quoted this, it was actually from Psalm 91. It had been around for a long time. Satan knew it and Jesus knew it. Here's what he had said. He said, look, for he will command his angels concerning you. He will guard you in all your ways. Keep in mind, this is talking about someone. They will lift you up in their hands and you will not strike your foot against the stone. And then he stops. But Jesus is like, what you stopping for, dude? I know the next sentence. That same you, it says that you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. And to be clear, the roaring lion and the cobra and the serpent, these are all descriptions of Satan in the Bible. So Jesus is saying, uh, the one you want to say can throw himself off here and command legions of angels is also the one that is gonna bring about your demise. Do not test the Lord your God. You know what he was really saying? What he was really saying is, do not test me. Don't make me prove that I am the Lord your God. I was there when you were cast down. I was there when it was announced, I will crush your head. I can make all this happen right here and now. If you want it to happen, don't test me. 
See, that's what Jesus was really saying. And as cool as that is, which by the way, you are welcome to share that with someone at lunch tomorrow and seem like a brilliant Bible scholar. It would be great. As cool as that is, the question that we're really asking today and the reason we're preaching this as a part of our kingdom series is what does this mean to you and me 2,000 years later? Cool stuff about Jesus is cool, but what does this mean to you and me 2,000 years later? Well, all of this is about the attack on the king. And if he's going to attack the king at some point, he is going to attack those in the kingdom. So you and I have a problem today that we need help with. It's called sin. It's a word that we don't really like to use, but it really is just the label for what separates us from God. Meaning it is the label for the times that we said yes to those temptations. It's the label when we've taken a counterfeit instead of what God had for us. And there are two problems with sin. One is that it is tempting. It is, I know you're in church and you're supposed to act all holy, but it's tempting. At least some form of it is for every one of us. And it also costs a lot. The price is death. Sin must be paid for with death. You want some good news? Jesus took care of both of those problems for us. Jesus solved both of those. You see, Satan had to go back to his plan. Well, I tried to kill him, it didn't work, so I tried to trap him in my kingdom with temptation. Worked for every other human, but it didn't work for him. So I gotta go back to killing him. And he also returned to what I was talking about earlier. Satan carried out his plan through a human Roman governor who said, I know he's innocent, I've talked to him, he's innocent, but I don't wanna get in trouble with the emperor I don't want to cause a riot. I'll let y'all kill him. Satan worked through religious officials who were corrupt and evil called Pharisees who simply were afraid of losing their position in life. And as a result, Satan's plan to kill the king finally worked. Jesus was nailed to a cross and hung there dead. Coolest part? It wasn't actually Satan's plan at all. It was the Father's. It was the Father's will that he should die and pay for the sins of his people, rescuing them from their sins and the power of their sin. And it was Jesus' plan. Jesus was the one who said, nobody's taking my life from me. I'm laying down my life of my own accord. When you see this, it is not Satan's victory. It is mine. And in three days, I'll prove it. You just be watching. That was a cool moment. So you and I have the answer to the cost of our sin. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I don't have to pay for the cost. But see, here's the cool part, what today's message is about. He also gave us the answer for the temptations of sin. And before I explain that, I just wanna make sure everybody gets something because this is where we lose it as Christians. Too often when, when we're talking about Jesus, we go, well, you know, that's great, that's inspiring, but he was God. He was God. Don't, don't, don't tell me to do what Jesus did. And some of you have heard the, the question, it was a big campaign, you know, a couple decades ago. What would Jesus do? Everybody was wearing the bracelets. What would Jesus do? And wearing the t-shirts, what would Jesus do? People say, I don't care what Jesus would do. He was God. No. Yes, he was fully God. And yes, he was fully man. But Jesus knew that's what humanity would say. He knew that if he did stuff as God, it would do you no good. Because you'd just be able to say, well, but he was God. The Bible tells, I mean, this is not heresy. I went to Bible college, I promise. The Bible makes it very clear. Jesus laid down operating as God. He didn't stop being God. He could not be who he was. But what he did, he chose not to do as God. He chose to do it as a man 
filled with the Spirit of God. Because every single one of us will be a man or a woman filled with the Spirit of God of Jesus as our King. That's what he tells us when we come into his kingdom. He puts his Spirit inside of us. And that's why he said, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to send my Spirit and you'll do greater things than me. Because anything I did, I didn't do as God. I did as a human filled with the spirit of God who was living for the kingdom. If you want to live for the kingdom, you can do greater things than I did. I walk on water and heal the dead. I'm going up there, can't wait for the show. We'll make some popcorn, go watch y'all raise some people from the dead. It's going to be cool. That's what he was saying. And so when he gives us power over temptation, don't start in your head going, well, but he was God. No, no, no. He was a human filled with the spirit of God. He was just living for something different. The way the exchange ends, it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, which we know was the cross. What, wait a minute, every temptation? Have you ever read this and thought that somebody got the Bible wrong? Every temptation? Like he only confronted him with like three things. And some of those things, like the stuff we struggle with, Jesus didn't even have to face. Jesus has never had to look at a brand new Lamborghini and say, yeah, I don't need that. He, he has never had to like sit on a nice, nice, soft leather couch with air conditioning and saying, oh, I don't need that. Jesus has never looked at some of the stuff we have to look at on the internet and say, yeah, I don't need that. Jesus hasn't faced the temptations we face. We try to say that, but it is wrong. Let's check this out. The Bible tells us for all that is in the world, all is a very important word. Everything the world has to offer you. Anything the world has to offer you. Anything that Satan can say, hey, you want this? The only thing it's got is, number one, the desires of the flesh, pleasing this, pleasure. The desires of the eyes, stuff, possessions, things that make me feel good about my life because I've got stuff and possessions. And the pride of life, promotion. Not from the Father, it's from the world, but it's all the world has got. It's what Satan uses. Every temptation. You see, anything and everything you ever face is going to be one of those three. It's going to be about pleasure for this. It's going to be about promotion for what you see in the mirror. It's going to be about possessions to make you feel like there's something. I mean, our possessions already make us greater than kings a few hundred years ago. Do you understand kings a few hundred years ago could not walk into a room in a rainstorm and get into a dry car that would then parallel park itself if they needed it, would back up with a TV screen, sit in their house with air conditioning, have some little thing in their hand that would actually allow them to bring food right to their seat from a business across town. We have possessions like the world has never seen. But see, Jesus' response can be ours. His was really simple. When the devil came and said, here we go, desires of the flesh, pleasure. Jesus is like, there is more to this life than this thing right here. He had already made that decision. You and I still have to make that decision today. Next time that you're thinking about what you want to eat, what you want to drink, or by the way, can I just tell you that as, as I'm preaching this, I know a couple of things are coming to mind, like sex or alcohol or whatever. And there is so much more. Like laziness is comfort. Somebody else is sweating and working hard and you're like laying on your couch, binge watching and somebody else is paying the bills. Like that's pleasure. So yeah, sex is pleasure for the body. Lust is pleasure for the mind, which is part of the body, right? I mean, are you guys with me in this sense? Food is pleasure. Laziness is pleasure. 
everything. So, so there's so much to tempt there and you have to make a decision. Do you live for more air conditioning, more Cheetos and more time on the internet? Because if so, don't get frustrated with God when you read that verse. Jesus said, you'll do greater things than me. I don't see it, Jesus. He's like, cause you ain't living for what I was living for. You got all the ingredients. You're a human filled with the spirit of God, but you're living for the wrong stuff. And Jesus had it figured out when the devil comes to him and he offers him the desires of the eyes and says, I'll give you all this stuff. Jesus is like, who needs stuff? I got plenty of stuff. We all got stuff and then we get new stuff and we take the other stuff to Goodwill. They had a Goodwill back then. It was Jewish name. I don't know what it is. I don't need stuff. I'm gonna get to heaven and I'm gonna have all this stuff and all of my stuff will be all of your stuff because you're a co-heir with me in the kingdom. Everything I have will be yours. There'll be your streets of gold. You don't need stuff. Who needs possessions? Y'all ain't seen no possessions yet. Wait till you get to heaven. We're all like, oh, I wish I could see one of the seven wonders of the world. I'd love to travel in time to see the hanging gardens of Babylon. The angels are like, yo, yeah, you don't need to see no dirty plants. Don't Y'all need to come up here in heaven and see what we got. Get your eyes on the kingdom. And when Jesus was faced with the pride of life, this is the one I think we really struggle with. We struggle with all three, but... This is the basis of so many things in our lives. Jesus was like, I know who I am. Don't test me. I'll show you who I am. You and I need to get onto that one. When somebody says, show me who you are. We, we serve on their terms. Proven who they are. We got a better Instagram post than you. We got a better this than that. We can do that. We need to remember, you know who we are? We are a member of the kingdom of God, a child of the king, and our big brother stands right behind us. And I don't care how tall you are, he's taller than you, and he just stands here looking at Satan like this. You want me to do it again? I've done it before, I'll do it again. I mean, like, that's, we don't need to defend ourselves. What we need to do is be really good with who God has made us to be. We need to be able to look at someone and say, I don't need to impress you. Now, the problem is, the only way that we know how to do that is wrong. The only way we know how to say, I don't care what you think of me, is permission to be a jerk. Like, I'm gonna cut you off in traffic. I don't care what you think of me. You know, that kind of thing. Like, no, no, no. We do need to care about our reputation for the sake of the gospel, but I don't need to care what you think of me to feel good about who I am because God has said who I am and that is enough for me. Show it to you one more way, just cause I'm a Bible nerd. Go back to the beginning. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Oh, that, that looks tasty. I think that would be pleasurable to eat. And pleasing to the eye. Ooh, that's the prettiest piece of fruit I've ever seen. Adam ain't got one of those. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. <gasps> you mean I will be like God? God's just trying to keep me down. I'm actually gonna be better off. I'm gonna be promoted. She took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Here's the reality you need to know. Satan's been playing the same game forever. And it's a really simple game, really, really simple. Only three moves. They're so easy to see coming. Here's the problem. Eve gave in to all three and she lost it all. Jesus defeated all three and he got everything back. The difference is Eve was simply living out of her human nature. Jesus was living out of his kingdom nature. You and I have both. So we need to choose every single day. I want to close and leave you with the perspective of a reality of where we are today. 
If you are living your human life, chasing pleasure, possession, and promotion, the devil probably doesn't care. He's not even watching. But there are two truths you need to know if you feel like some days the devil is just after you. First of all, when you enter the kingdom of God, you get the devil's attention. Undeniable fact. But when you choose to advance the kingdom of God, you get the devil's attack. So here's what I mean by that. When you enter the kingdom of God saying, make Jesus my king, will you be my Lord and Savior? The devil goes, oh, wait a minute, we gotta watch, we gotta pay attention. But too many are like, oh, so now I'm going to heaven. Let me just go back to my human life. It's like, okay, well, you got my attention, but I'm not real worried about you. Because even though you're going to heaven, you're not gonna do much on earth. You're still worried about your job and your vacation plans. And yeah, you're preoccupied. But if you choose to not just wait for heaven, but to do something on the earth and advance the kingdom where you work and where you live and where you go to school, and you choose to rescue people from the kingdom of darkness, I mean, if you actually get engaged, then you have the devil's attack. It's what he did to the king. It's what he's gonna do to you and me. And what you need to make sure you have not missed is that temptation is the attack. Temptation is the attack. So I'll leave you today with a very simple choice. Are you going to live for the kingdom? Are you going to live for pleasure, possession, promotion? You have a human nature, you have a kingdom nature, but today you have to choose. And tomorrow you'll have to choose again. And the day after that. Every day. Because every minute of your life, the world will be offering you those three things. The choice is yours. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that you did not leave us alone in this brokenness. We thank you that Jesus understands everything we've been through. That's why he can be our high priest praying for us and interceding for us. We thank you that he gave us the answer to everything we will face. Today, God, our prayer is that you will help us be strong and to use the answers Jesus gave us when we face things in this world. God, we ask you where we are weak, where we are more in love with things of this world than we are with things of your kingdom. Would you, would you change us? Would you change our hearts? Would you come and work? We can't do this alone. God, we need you. Come and work in our lives. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king, as we've talked about all throughout the message. Jesus came, lived a perfect life. He died for your sins. He was raised from the dead so that those who call on him can have forgiveness for their sins and also be raised from the dead and have eternal life. But this is an exchange we each must make at a point in time. We call it the free gift of salvation. And if you've never done that, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are, either here in the room or at home. Simply pray something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, thank you that you died for me and so today I choose to live for you I thank you that you love me I thank you that I'm forgiven in my simple prayer would you fill me with your spirit and would you give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them? Amen.